Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of Drunk Bible Study, the bonus edition. Uh, We're talking about many things today. I have two boys, two boys to talk about, (laughs) and a tomb. Not not son brother boys? Not son brother boys. uh, No, they're they're just like random boys that that really only got like a blip, like a blip in the Bible. And then also the tomb of Absalom, uh, also known as the pillar and slash Absalom's uh, heir. (laughs) Right. 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 Heir of the pillar. His son. Exactly. So I don't know. I'll just let's talk about Barzilia. Barzilla? Barzillai. Uh, yeah, I said Barzillai. Barzillai. Let's and talk I, about Emily him made first. it sound like a like a type of pasta. Barzilla. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's very uh, Italian. Yeah. No, he's he's not actually. Um apparently he's a wealthy man. He's a wealthy man named Barzillia, a believer in God Barzillai. and a supporter of King Barzillai, sorry, and a supporter of King David, uh even when it wasn't convenient or beneficial to be a supporter of the king. So, yeah, he remained loyal and hosted David and his men during this trying time, which was risky and expensive. So Absalom dies. Okay, right, because he brought ends. the whole grocery list. Yeah. He was one of the dudes that brought this whole grocery list. Now, hang on. Exactly. What? I'm, I'm, I'm not clear on that. So when, I remember that last episode, not mm-hmm. this last one, but the one before that, we had the like list of the, you know, 200 loaves of bread and the... You know, tons yeah. of stuff in the and like cakes of raisins and then one bottle of wine, right? You remember uh-huh. that yes. that whole thing? Yes. Yeah. That, I guess it was a gigantic skein of wine. That was not this guy. Okay. No, I, yes, I don't know. yes, it was. No, was no, it? that was not this guy, but he this is the guy who brought the whole and lentils and beans and that bread we got and this time grain around. and yes, this oh, guy. This time. Not the last time. This time, I this see. Time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he's, okay, 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 but this is the important part. So Absalom died, the rebellion ended, leaving David ready to head back and take his place as the rightful king in Jerusalem. But before he crossed the river to head home, he paused to invite his patron, Barzillai, to come back with him so that he can be giving the royal treatment for the rest of his life. Who wouldn't want that? Actually, Barzillai. He already had wealth (laughs) and influence. He was content with where he was, and all he wanted was to return home to his land and his family and rest in peace. Yeah, he's 80 at this point. However, he didn't just decline the invitation and move on. Rather, he decided to use his influence to elevate another, his his buddy, Chim Ham, and made a move that changed (laughs) Chim Ham's life forever. Okay, right, because he was like, I'm too old. I can't do this. I'm practically senile, but I'm going to do a solid for Chim Ham. For chimpanzee ham. Exactly. He said he asked David to allow Chimham to take his place to receive the place of honor David had offered to Barzillai. In a way, Barzillai became a sponsor for Chimham's career, opening up doors that he never Uh. could have opened without Barzillai using his influence on his behalf. Gosh. The, wow. the climbing, the social ladder climbing. My goodness. Indeed. This is, uh, oh my gosh, this is hilarious. This this is from faithdriveninvestor.com. Oh, wow. Oh, oh good. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So that's why all that happened. So whenever I think of like something like faith-driven investing, did either uh-huh. of you ever read the book? Um, no. It's called The not. Sirens of Titan, I think. It's yeah. a Kurt Vonnegut no. book. Kurt Vonnegut. Even the, Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, you and the Kurt Vonnegut lately. references. My goodness. Yeah, seriously. Just to reference our other podcasts for other references of Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> uh, yeah, The Sirens of Titan, I think is what it's called. But anyway, in it, and all of all of his books are 
you know, they're a little bit silly, like have a little bit of a tongue in cheek sort of element to mm-hmm. them. But in this one, it one of the like sort of not part of the immediate plot, but just sort of the backstory that sets it up is this guy who makes absurd amounts of money by doing mm-hmm. all of his investing based on the Bible. And it's like he takes the first three letters of each paragraph and looks up like the stock ticker symbols. And then like the verse number is like the date to invest in. You know, so he some... does like this, this bibliomancy numerology right. stuff. I Yikes. Exactly. I don't know. How does that work out for him? Well, he ends up becoming like a trillionaire. That's sort of like the backstory oh. is that he came up with this like absurd, ridiculous way of like using the Bible to invest. So anyway, the that spiritually based That's not very investor. like Jesusly of him, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't I know mean, anything about Jesus. Uh, we don't, we can wait before getting into deep conversations about the prosperity gospel and all that stuff that crops up in the church. Hmm. Okay. We'll, we'll get there. Well, I'm going to talk about Zeba, whose Wikipedia page is like the saddest, smallest Wikipedia page Aww. I've ever seen in my life. It's literally like this big. It's so weenie. But okay, he's a man in Samuel 2 in the Hebrew Bible. He was a servant of Saul and then later Saul's grandson, Mehibosheth, which I didn't realize that that was the what he was. Yeah, I think we were told that and we just probably okay. forgot. Yeah, that's, so, that's why uh, I was so confused about the whole thing with Mephibosheth and Ziba and all that. Yeah. So he's mentioned in three places in the Bible. In Samuel 2, verse, not verse 9, but chapter 9, David speaks to him and tells him how Mephibosheth will be his master. So meaning Ziba, he's like Mephibosheth, Ziba, or is your master now, Ziba? Done. <laughs> and then Wait, in- Ziba, Ziba was the one... Who, when he was like asking about Jonathan's kids or something, he was like, "Oh, we found this one, and he's he's lame or something like that." Was that okay. was Ziba, right? Who who did uh, that? I don't, uh, yeah, sure, yeah. You said that um, was that was chapter nine. Yes, yeah, okay. in Sa- two Samuel nine. Um, okay, in two Samuel sixteen, when David flees Jerusalem after Absalom's conspiracy, Ziba comes to David with provisions and claims that Mehibosheth has broken faith with David. David responds by giving all that belonged to Mephibosheth to Ziba instead. Yeah, that's what I was goodness. saying. That yeah, he okay. gave away all of Mephibosheth's inheritance because he gave him to a ton Ziba. of stuff, right? He gave it to Ziba Probably. instead because cool. Mephibosheth had had, I guess, not been loyal or something. Oh, okay, okay, this makes sense. Now, finally, in 2 Samuel 19, which we just read, when David returns to Jerusalem, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth <laughs> tells <laughs> David, Mephibosheth, it's a pH, right? Mephibosheth, yes, tells David that Ziba has been lying. David responds by saying, oh. you and Ziba shall divide the land. Huh. Oh, so I just work it out amongst yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I can't be bothered. It says <laughs> David does not, or seems not to know whom to believe, but most commentators have concluded that Ziba was lying in order to make himself appear to be the only loyal subject worthy of David's benefactions mm. and um. t- of title to Saul's property. Ziba had 15 sons, and although he was a servant in the house of Saul, he had 20 servants of his own. Wow. The end. That's okay. it. That's the end. I, right. I just read you the entire Wikipedia article on him. Oh, for Ziba. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, and finally, I'm just going to read you a little bit about the tomb of Absalom. So it's called 
it's a monumental and we should put like a, a fun picture up, but it's an ancient monumental rock cut tomb with a conical roof located in the Kidron Valley in Jerusalem. Oh, a few so this meters. Is, this is still this is still around. Yeah. It, yeah. Is, wait, is I his guess. tomb the same as his monument that he chose yes. to be his son? It's the yes. Same? It's the same. The tomb of Absalom is also called Absalom's Pillar. It looks cool. Yeah, it does. If you look up images, yeah. Exactly. It says that although traditionally ascribed to Absalom, the rebellious king of son son of King David, uh, recent scholarship has dated the tomb to first century CE. Oh, so it might be the tomb itself might be older. Maybe I don't know. It says well, it's first not century only... CE would be yeah much later or not yeah. as old. So, sorry, old. that's yeah, that's what I not mean. Not as old. Less right. old. I see. I see. Newer. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've been drinking. It's fine. <laughs> the tomb is not only a burial structure in its own right, with its upper part serving as a nefesh or funeral monument for the tomb in its lower part, but it was probably also meant as a nefesh for the adjacent burial cave system, known as the cave, known as the cave or tomb of Jehephopheh. Jehoshaphat. 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 Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. Jumping Jehoshaphats. Yeah. Uh-huh. With which it forms one entity built at the same time and following a single plan. Wow. I mean, this is still pretty cool, even if it's from it the is first cool. century CE. That's still really old. Yeah. And very cool. And it contains a burial chamber with three burial sites. The chamber is carved out of the solid lower section of the monument, but can only be assessed from the upper section via a built Dude, entrance and staircase. I was, okay, I'm looking on the map and where it is, and I was like right here and I didn't go see it. Ugh. It was walkable from where I was in Jerusalem, and I didn't go. I didn't know that Absalom was cool. I probably saw it on the map of like Absalom's tomb. I don't know who that is. Who cares? Yeah, right. There's a bunch of other important things to see. We'll definitely have to take another trip altogether now that we know things. Oh, one hundred percent. We're going to the Holy Land. Yeah, you know when when we can like leave the country. Yeah, anybody is okay with any American setting foot on their soil. Yeah, Yeah, it could be a while. Exactly. I was like, wow, my passport means literally nothing. Right. Nothing. Cool. Okay, so that's fun. And uh, there are the three things that you all asked me to freaking look up today. <laughs> okay, uh, the small thing that I looked up was about this whole roping, roping a steer, roping a city and pulling it into oh, the yeah. river. Oh, right. Goodness. Fun yeah, times. I found on BibleHub.com, they have a... It's actually pretty cool that you can look up a verse and it compiles all of the commentary yeah. Yeah. into I, one place. I've done that before. Yeah. It's very cool. Um, and it's interesting that the commentaries seem to go back and forth between was this a literal thing he was planning to do or was this just a figurative thing that he wanted? You know, so for instance, Ellicott's commentary for English readers interprets oh, okay. this Great. as a Husha uh-huh. here makes use of hyperbole to show the irresistible power of all Israel united and therefore the certain success of his plan. This was pleasing to the vanity and dazzling to the imagination of Absalom. Uh, and there's a lot of people okay. interpret it that way as well. That like, this is just hyperbole. He's just saying, we're going to destroy the city. We're going to pull it all down. We're going to be united. It's going to be great. Um, Uh, You know, the Benson commentary says that the expression in the original is very remarkable, but hyperbolical, suited to the vain, glorious temper of this insolent young man. Well, but then there's also commentary that says like, nah, yeah, 
they were going to do it. You know, the Benson commentary even goes on to say the meaning of which threat seems to be this, that they would come before that city with those cranes or hooks, which the ancients were wont to throw upon the battlements of walls and with which by the help of ropes fastened to them, they were wont to pull them down piecemeal into the rivers and trenches. So not all at once, but piecemeal. Yeah. Okay. Like you would get like your bat hook. And throw it up onto right. the wall. Yeah, and then like... And grr. pull stuff down. And you would do that a bunch and just kind of pull the city apart. Apart. Yeah. Wow. Which is nuts. Yeah. Other commentaries are saying that, yeah, this is probably a fortified city that was like on a rock. And so really it literally was like, we're going to pull it down off the rock. Mm, wow. Okay. Like, so, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, wow. yeah. Yeah. It's up on a cliff or something. So I don't know. Most people seem to think that this is just hyperbole. Rather than okay. a literal plan, which okay. I was disappointed because I really wanted to find a whole history of like, oh, yeah, ancient people has been doing this for years. The old rope the city <laughs> trick. Yeah, right. we have lost uh, this ancient art of roping and lassoing a city, but it did exist. It was awesome. <laughs> this, it used to be part of like the barrel shows and stuff when in barrel oh, racing, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. you the, the old good old rope a city, pull it into the river, have a hot dog. Right. It's like modern, you know, the modern day, like world's strongest man competitions where they're like pulling a 747 on a cord. Back then it was dragging a city into a river. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right. Beautiful. All right. So what we're going to end out with with this bonus episode is, as promised in the episode, is the scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail where, okay, let me set the scene for you. They, uh, King Arthur and his knights of the round table have... His merry men. His merry men. Yes, his band of merry men. Uh, They've come across, um, I'm not going to spoil it, an unbeatable foe, it seems. A monster, if you will. And No. No. Just a monster. A monster. A boss. Eventually we'll watch this. So for everyone who doesn't know, Emily has not seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So we're kind of explaining this for her sake, as well as any of you out there who have not seen it. We'll watch it at some point. We'll do a watch party. It'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So they realize, oh, let's bring out the holy hand grenade, uh, which, you know, in their world is a thing. And they bring it out. And then uh, King Arthur is confused about how it works. And so they consult the Book of Armaments, which is the the joke where we were talking about... Yeah, they have some priests, some, like, you know, priests traveling along with them. Right, who end up reading from the Book of Armaments. Consult the Book of Armaments. Armaments, chapter 2, verses 9 to 21. And St. Attila raised the hand grenade up on high, saying, O Lord, bless this thy hand grenade, that with it thou mayst blow thine enemies to tiny bits in thy mercy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the Lord did grin, and the people did feast upon the lambs, and sloths, and carp, and anchovies, and orangutans, and breakfast cereals, and fruit bats, and large... a bit, brother. <laughs> and the Lord spake, saying, First shalt thou take out the holy pin, then shalt thou count to three, no more, no less. Three shall be the number thou shalt count, and the number of the counting shall be three. <laughs> Four shalt thou not count, neither count thou two, excepting that thou then proceed to three. Five is right out. Once the number three, being the third number, be reached, 
Then lobbest thou thy holy hand grenade of Antioch towards thy foe, who being naught in my sight, shall snuff it. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's so, definitely funnier once you know anything about the Bible and know how yes. it's written. Yeah. Yes. And definitely. then, like, let's you know repeat ourselves a million times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, fun. So actually, like, we had a few moments in this last episode where we had similar things, like the one that made Dedeker yeah. lose it about the no, you shall not say anything today <laughs> because today you shall not say anything. Furthermore, <laughs> yes, today you shall say nothing. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> It's very much that they clearly had a sense of what the Bible is like to read. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's hysterical. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. They're not. It's not like they're back in biblical days. They're in King King Arthur Arthur days. And and that's probably confusing because it was. I was like, wait. Also made a film called Life of Brian. Yeah. Is set during the life of Christ. Yeah. We'll definitely watch that once we get there. That's yeah, once you get to the story of Jesus, then you can appreciate life of Brian. Okay, okay. Yeah. But is that about Jesus? But his name is Brian? No, it's about Brian, who everyone kind of thinks is Jesus. But he's not? Everyone keeps confusing him for being the Messiah, but he's not. Okay. And it's it's, it's like know, they had kind clarity. of similar origins, and but he's just like a random guy, but people keep thinking that he might be the one about whom prophecies are <laughs> also, or that they also, should care about. Full frontal nudity. Yes. Whoa. Also full frontal nudity. So both a man and a woman. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Goodness. Literally. Yeah. Watching Indeed. this in my childhood was quite an experience. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can yeah, imagine. I didn't see Life of Brian until I was probably like fourteen. Actually, Monty okay. Python I saw much younger, but Life of Brian was later in my life. Oh, see, I think wow. for me, all of it was like middle school age was uh, when I discovered yeah. Monty Python and all these things. Yeah. Love yeah. It. But yeah, this thing where they're going on about just in the middle of a thing that would be exciting, they take this moment to be like, and then the people did feast upon the yams and the carp and the orangutans, just like Mm -hmm. ridiculous. Breakfast cereals. Yeah. Hysterical. That is really funny, though, that that list really literally was like that. The whole and this and that and Uh this and that and this. They're just like, oh, my God, translators, come on. More accurate than we ever could have realized. I suppose you're right. (laughs) Alrighty. Well, I'm looking forward to next week and seeing what shenanigans are in store for our gang, which has become just so many people at this point. I'm like, who are the big players? It's it's David and everybody else, you know? We've got it's a lot David of big and players else. these days. Yeah. yeah. We've got a lot yeah. of named characters. A lot of yeah, whom... I can't really I, keep them straight, but I'd yeah. say maybe half of them, their names start with A, which... Again, Definitely. Yeah, that's hard. That's hard. It's a rough time. It's a rough a time, A times sure. were very popular right now. It's kind of like in the early 2000s when everyone was naming their baby girl Mook something. <laughs> oh, like right. Mackenzie? McKenna, Mackenzie, Michaela, oh. all that uh, stuff. Okay. Mm. Uh-huh. okay. Uh-huh. All right. That helps put it in perspective. So. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> all right. Well, we will see you all next week. <laughs>